What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, before the show starts, I have to tell you about SockPanda.com. They're the best gift ever because it's a monthly awesome sock subscription that will get you noticed and help start a conversation. The Sock Panda offers original designs for men, women, and kids ages three and up. Even better, when you sign up for a subscription, the SockPanda.com donates socks to someone in need. As of September of this year, the company has donated nearly 100,000 socks to homeless shelters, low-income senior centers, hospitals, and underprivileged classrooms throughout the country. Sign up today at SockPanda.com. Use the coupon code 100Words15 for 15% off your order. It's the best. My son loves these things. He wears them every day. I wear them. They're awesome. It's the best gift ever because it keeps on giving. People are just like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for these socks that are just like rad and warm and comfortable. Everything you need in socks is right here. SockPanda.com, 100Words15 for 15% off your order. Please don't forget, do it up. Now, on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins. And it's like every time I say the name of the show, I'm always like, man, I don't know if that was the best name. <laughs> I mean, because I could have done something much more directly related to music. I mean, clearly, you see the logo of the show. You understand that there's, you know, maybe music involved with the logo, but... Anyways, I digress. So what we are doing today is we are speaking with people who are 
influenced by this awesome music scene, whether it's playing in bands, whether it's writing books, which is what today's guest is, or uh, contributing like by putting out records or putting out zines or doing doing cool stuff within the context of independent music. And we have an author today, and I like having authors on because, uh, you know, usually they're very thoughtful people. And Tony Rettman is the author of a book called Straight Edge, which you can probably guess what that book's about, and it's about Straight Edge. <laughs> he also wrote a book uh, about the New York City hardcore scene that was really, really good. Both of these are released by Bazillion Points, and uh, it's probably one of my favorite publishing houses that exists within uh, the context of punk and hardcore and metal. Like They just put out a bunch of rad books, and Straight Edge is exactly one of them. Like The... It's exhaustive, like, and I mean that in the best way possible. It's a very thick book. There's interviews with basically every major player within every single uh, straight edge music scene, whether it's like East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, Hardline, like so much great stuff is in there. And I actually just recently finished it maybe about a week and a half or so ago, and I can't recommend it enough. So Tony was kind enough to hop on the show and uh, hang out and we we got into the weeds we got into like what it's like to publish a book because i was curious if there's any similarities between that and uh, putting out records and uh, it turns out there is <laughs> so uh let's get some business pleasantries out of the way you have to go visit noecho.net if you're not you're completely blowing it great website Got a lot of cool stuff in regards to, you know, covering punk and hardcore, the people who are collecting records, the people who are taking photographs of it, in-depth interviews with people who are, uh, yeah, just, you know, maybe they're not spoken about on a regular basis. But, uh, yeah, Carlos over there does a great job. So visit his website because that's uh, we got a good partnership here, right? And then uh, I myself, uh, in a few days, I'm flying to Canada. So if you are in the Toronto area, if you're in the Hamilton, Ontario area, or if you're in Montreal, come out and watch my band play. Or if you don't care about the band, come out and hang out because I would definitely like to meet you if you are a fan of this particular podcast. And uh, I'm going to be exhausted. Uh, four shows in four days. I'm already like, I'm, I'm straight up nervous today. <laughs> like I already started thinking about it. I'm like, man, how am I going to pull this off? But um, yeah, hopefully uh, I'll be able to do it. And I'm trying to make sure that I don't get sick beforehand. It's like I'm just just doing everything I can. Self-preservation. But it's going to be really fun, and I can't wait to uh, play awesome shows. We're playing with Counterparts, Lexus on Fire, some really, really fun shows with friends, old and new. And um, yeah, it just the power of this music scene continues to amaze me in ways that uh, I think many other aspects of my life I am not amazed by, but music continually surprises me and i've been involved with it for a long time now um and also the podcast that many of you have been waiting for the year end episode with my good friends joey cahill and jeremy bohm we are chopping it up next week and i can't wait to release that because basically we do our top 10 records of the year and it was a real real fun conversation we had to keep it a little bit shorter but uh, nonetheless, we get all our records and we talk about fun stuff. So anyways, that's that's next week on the 13th. And then, um, yeah, that's all I'm going to tell for you right now. But uh, like I said, Tony, I he, he actually reached out to me because he was like, hey, I'm putting out this book. And I'm like, holy moly, I already have this book on pre-order. <laughs> so this makes total sense that I would speak to you. Just It just never occurred to me. So uh, it made perfect sense. And Tony walked me through it. And uh, it was really interesting because, uh, you know, I, I noticed that, uh, you know, he doesn't I mean, he doesn't put himself into these interviews at all. It's basically just a documentation of this. And I wanted to get uh, to know why Tony approaches it that way, because he did it in his last book as well, the New York City Hardcore book. So, yeah, just a lot of interesting stuff. So 
that's what we're doing. And uh, listen to this. And uh, I hope that you are having a spectacular week. Um, I'm even though I'm excited for this week, it uh, can't help but feel overwhelming. All the other stuff that's happening in the world can't help but feel um, like there has been some uh, political changes in regards to the way that our taxes are going to be handled in the future. And uh, just looking right down the barrel of like, oh, man, this this sucks. It doesn't feel good. So um, I, I know I always try to be very positive on these because uh, I'm just a positive person. I was going to say positive in just just these intros. And it's like, well, no, most of you that have been listening to this show know that I'm a generally positive person, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's sometimes hard after a while to just, you know, not only put on that good face, but actually mean it. So if you're feeling low, if you're feeling down, I totally get it. You can email me hundred words, podcast at gmail.com and uh, we can chop it up. So anyways, that's that. Here's Tony pre or not pre-order order his book, just order it. It's out. You'll get it super quick. And it's a great read. So straight edge, bazillion points, do it. Here's our talk. You know, I, I, I definitely tripped across you uh, via the, you know, the New York City hardcore book that we were just talking about. Um, and I, you know, I, whatever, I'm 37 years old. And it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like people of, you know, are whatever, I'll lump us all in as the, you know, basically, <laughs> once you're over 30, you're part of a, a certain generation of, you know, hardcore and punk kids. And yeah. I love the idea of everybody being able to put forth these artifacts of, you know, either documenting a scene, um, you know, kind of like what you did with your Detroit book that you put out in Rev as well. Um, mm. And, you know, did like a, as you started to kind of, you know, put these uh, tasks on your back from, you know, the, the Detroit book and the New York City hardcore book, um, did you feel I, I, I'm sure you felt equipped because you lived in the scene and you knew all these people. Um, but. I can't imagine that the idea of being like, oh yeah, like, so I'm going to write a book on this didn't seem just like completely overwhelming and daunting. Oh no, it was. Um, especially, uh, the Detroit thing, like that was sort of uh, a build, the why be something or not. That book was sort of like a build upon an article that I, I already, uh, wrote for swindle magazine when it existed. And it was just sort of something where, you know, that era of um, Midwestern hardcore in the early 80s is something like I've just always been really been obsessed with. So when I did the article, I just interviewed every, every person I could and just had a, an excessive amount of uh, interviews, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of that got trimmed down when it got into the magazine. So I had all this stuff and I was like, well, why don't I just kind of like build upon what I already have? So in all, in all honesty, like looking back, I mean, for a first book, that wasn't that difficult in the way of just like, um, I already have a lot of this stuff already that's been like around for about a year. I'm just going to kind of build on top of that, you know? But the um, the New York one was definitely um, way more difficult because I was starting from scratch. And um, even though, yeah, I did a, a fanzine, did two fanzines in the 80s, like hardcore fanzines, and interviewed a lot of people that were, uh, in those bands and, you know, I, I'm not saying I was Mr. New York hardcore or anything. Like I went to a few shows here and there. I was a guy from New Jersey who was really into it. Um, but it, it was a little, it was a little daunting, but once you kind of get, you know, once you get halfway through it, it's definitely not, it doesn't make, it's not easier, but you know, you got to get through it. You know what I mean? Like it's it, in some way knowing that you have to pull through that there's no like, 
there's going to be no light at the end of the tunnel unless you like finish this through. It kind of makes it easier and difficult <laughs> at the same time, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, especially too, when you're talking about like, you know, when you have the kind of collected raw materials, that's when, you know, like I'll never forget. This was like such a, a random piece of advice that like my father gave me and uh, over something that was so inconsequential where I'm just like, I'm, I'm alphabetizing all of my vinyl and like, man, I can't get started on this. Cause it's, I you just look at this wall of records and where do I begin? He's like, just do a little bit a day. And I'm like, Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> and it's, I'm sure it's the same premise where it's just like, Oh yeah, you just do a little bit a day as you start working towards it. I wish I could see that. No, I see if I do a little bit a day, like it just doesn't get done. Like okay. that's just the bad, I'm just a bad person like that or whatever in a way, because like I, uh, man, I really like went like crazy with that New York book as far as like, just, I was just like a robot. Like as soon as I, I, I got done the interview, like I ran home, I transcribed it. Like I just did it all like, I'd get up in the morning, like I, I, you know, believe it or not, writing books about the history of hardcore punk. I'm not living on a solid gold boat. If you, I, I know you're shocked, but uh, super. So I, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I work a job though that I have off like three days in the middle of the week. So like I would get up on a Wednesday, like I drive my wife to the train station and send her to work, and then, um, well, I didn't send her to work, but you know what I mean. And um, and then I'd come home and just sit down and transcribe interviews and interviews and interviews. And then I'd go pick her up at the train station. And that was kind of like what my life was for like a year. And it's funny. Cause I read, I, I hear interviews with guys who do books that are like way more to me, like, um, I don't know, like way more important in the, in the grand scheme of things. Like, I think I remember, um, listening to an interview or reading an interview, uh, with Michael Azarad who, wrote that our band could be your life book. And he was like, well, that book was like three years of my life or four years of my life. I'm like, fuck, I don't have that commitment, man. Like, like I got to get this shit done. Right. So like, so most of that, like the New York book was done like in like a year and a half or, or maybe something like that. Like just, just constantly just transcribing interviews, like placing them all in these different files, you know, on my hard drive of like, oh, well, this is about straight edge. This is about the like agnostic front. This is about this period, the crossover, like, and then like, once I have all that stuff, just like, it's almost like, you know, it's like assembling a puzzle. You're just like piecing these quotes together to see like how it flows. And, but also like making sure it's, it, it's important to like making, making sure it flows well, but also like, you're not manipulating anything. You know what I mean? Like you're not, you're being as as like unobtrusive as possible in the uh, proceedings, but like still piecing piecing it together so it's like almost falls in a sequential order within the chapter, you know. Yeah, and th- that was actually something I was going to ask a little bit later, but it's appropriate to bring up now. Where you know you you take very much the you know fly in the wall approach, where you know you pose the questions and you know you let the the people do the talking for it, and you don't inject much of you know yourself and your personality. Um, you know, to a certain extent, obviously from the editing perspective and the way that you place it in contextually in each chapter. Um, but you know, in certain respects, does that, uh, I guess, does that approach feel, um, I guess easier for you to obtain the end goal of finishing a book, but then in some respects, I'm sure it's like, well, there's not much of Tony in this, you know, like we don't get a sense of, you know, we get a sense of your interest level, but not to the extent of like your own perspective on it, or is that less valuable than, you know, the, the finished product? Uh, it's less valuable to me because I think like I do enough journalism and like, 
I don't know. I think there's enough of me out. Like now that I think I'm on a, on like plastered on every billboard or something, but I think there's enough of me out there. If you want to find it in a way, like as far as like any kind of writing I do that, you know, that's journalism or whatever that tells, tells you whether I like or dislike anything music or something like that. So like, it's almost like these books are like a relief in that way. Like, um, you know, I, I always kind of think of think back to this like uh, it's going to be a very loose uh, quote or adaptation of um, you know there is this uh, modern classical composer uh, uh, Stockhausen who said like I'm just like I'm just like a transmitter like I'm not conducting anything or I'm not like the sounds that I produce I have no control over I'm just like a transmitter and I'm just like beaming them out into the world and like that's kind of like what I think of like. I'm just kind of taking in all these interviews or anything like that, or the things that I transcribe and just like kind of sending them out into the world in like the sequential order that they should be, or like the way they should be presented. And like in a non, like, you know, I think the the main thing with all this stuff is less, like I said, like not interjecting too much of yourself into it, but also like, you know, don't create any conflict where there isn't conflict. Like don't, don't try to make more drama than there is. I mean, there's drama there, but don't like, make it more than what it already is or anything like, you know, don't be, don't make it like, uh, the national Enquirer of, of hardcore. Don't make it like, you know, like the, the, uh, like the Hollywood Babylon of, 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 of straight edge or whatever, you know, like that's, if someone wants to do that, they can, I don't want to do it because like, you know, I don't know. I have enough people that probably have an opinion on me. I don't need more people. (laughs) <laughs> have 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 an even worse opinion on me. Sure, sure. No, I I I, mean, I can understand where you're coming from, and I, I think you know a lot of the times what um you know the the whole old man on the porch idea of people being like oh the scene isn't the same today and kids these days or whatever you know a lot of it I always remind myself where it's like when you are you know when you are between the ages of seventeen and twenty five years old and you're just getting into you know punk or hardcore and you have every piece of information at your fingertips, you know, sometimes it's like drinking from a fire hose. Like you don't, it's just, you're overwhelmed and like, you have no idea like what any of this means contextually, you know, you're like a a band like sick of it all is the same as a band like knocked loose to you because they're both hardcore bands, but one is vastly different than the other. And so I, I, you know, I, I appreciate the approach of what you're doing where it's like, you're basically just trying to build in context for this all, and you know, let the people do the talking rather than like, yeah, here's uh, here's you know Tony from the Mountain of Hardcore being like, oh, this is you know, here's your here's your Ten Commandments, here's the Bible on uh, this uh, how this seed was developed or whatever. Yeah, and I mean that's a, I think that's the thing with like an oral history is like it is just supposed to be like laying out all these facts from from the mouths of other people. Like, I think that's a main issue I have with uh, with um, certain books that it's like it's an oral history, but then like this person kind of like chimes in their own like uh whatever their own two cents about what they think about this and like i just think that that it's just like a jarring thing to read like it doesn't doesn't gel well do you know what i mean like i think of like uh you know i'm not trying to like um not trying to shit talk (laughs) but like like but like like the way the american like the american hardcore book was set up in that way of just like i don't care what you think like, just give me the facts, man. Like, yeah. I don't care if you think like, oh, uh, like the big boys only put out two good, re- like one good record. 
I will argue with you about that, but that's fine. Um, like, you know, just like, or like just little things thrown in that are like his opinion. Like, I don't care if you smoked crystal meth, like at a minor threat show, like, just give me the facts, dude. Like, is this, is this your biography or is this a book about like the history of hardcore? Like what's going on? So I think that's the thing is like, just to like build an oral, oral history where it's just like, again, just the facts, man, uh, just the facts. And like, Putting, yeah, contextualizing everything into sort of like maybe neat little boxes, but also like not presenting it like, um, well, this goes over here, so you should only listen to these bands, or you know what I mean, or like this is over here, and like also trying to be like as, as a, like objective as possible, especially with the Straight Edge book, because like I'll be honest, like there after a certain era, I'm not me personally, I am not in the picture, you know what I mean, like I don't. I didn't know much about some stuff um, or I wasn't a big fan of a lot of bands that I, I had to like write chapters on. So I had to just like, and I didn't want to like, who cares again, who cares what I think? Like this is just like stating the facts of like what these bands did in the time and like how they, what their influence was, you know, not like Tony thinks this band stinks or this band's great or, you know, I'm not trying to rewrite history to like, um, to, to win into the favor of like friends of mine or something like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not, it's not like you're going to be like, Hey, you know what? When, uh, when unity and uniform choice, uh, you know, decided to be, you know, hair, hair metal, like that was totally cool. <laughs> you know, it's not like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> people, I, people would read that. They'd be like, wait, hold on. Wait, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I really wanted to be that way, I could like totally rewrite history and then like, <laughs> right. m- and then maybe like, you know, like, I could just buy every like every copy of staring into the sun and then like all of a sudden just be the guy like I corner the market. Yeah. And just like, Oh, you want to check that record out? Finally. All right. Totally. 50 bucks. Right. Um, yeah. You're like, yeah, you're, you're just this, uh, this re- revisionist history person where, uh, yeah, you're doing it for, for the, uh, you know, profiting, you know, whatever, cornering the market. You, you could easily do that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like just like all the, yeah. I mean, and that is, I mean, in all honesty, that is a thing. Like maybe in these, you know, in this day and time with like Discogs and and eBay and things like that, it doesn't exist. But like when like there were actual like record dealers, like dudes that like were at record conventions dealing records, like those guys would do that. Like, oh, do you have like, they would just pick a random record and be like, oh, do you have this record? No. Oh, it's like totally great. And you should buy, it's like 50 bucks. You know, like they were just, you take it home like I think I just got screwed. Right. <laughs> you know, like I guess, you I know, just, but I just, I, I, yeah. I, just, I just bought a European import and this thing sucks. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, exactly like, yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I again, I don't. Yeah, I, I try to just not interject myself into the uh, into the proceedings as much as possible as far as the books go. Yeah, sure, sure. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. 
And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like, the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And, you know, kind of as you were, you know, growing up, because uh, you, know, you grew up in New Jersey and, you know, it's been, well, almost every person has asked you about your, you know, your lineage in regards to, you know, getting into punk and stuff like that as far as your older brother exposing you to Black mm-hmm. Flag and stuff like that. So I'm not going to, you know, be too redundant from that. But the uh, the interesting thing for me, for you, is, um, you know, it, it takes a certain sort of person to... Um, you know, take the principles of, you know, what you did with, uh, you know, was it common sense, right? Was that the name of the zine that you did? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's it. And so like taking those principles, cause you were like what, 14, 15, 16 when you were putting that together? Uh, I was 16 and I, I was co-editing that with Tim McMahon who sing, sang from mouthpiece and now sings for search. He was, he was 14 and I was 16 okay. when we did that thing. Yeah. Right. And I, you know, I think everybody that kind of starts to dabble with the, uh, you know, I'll use in air quotes journalism within the context of punk and hardcore, you know, you're just, <clears throat> you just like, you just want to be active. And so you just want to yeah. do something, you know? Um, but for you to obviously still continue to, 
you know, uh, not only document it, but the, you know, the freelance writing aspect of your life, like was writing basically like just always in you and you were like, I got to do this no matter what. And I'll figure this out. Or was this just kind of like one sort of happenstance situation after another? I think, I think it was that it was happenstance. I think in the way of like, I just like, uh, as far as I'm concerned, like when my brother first started taking me to hardcore shows, like I couldn't afford to buy a t-shirt, but I could buy like a, a zine for a dollar kind of thing. So like I, that's what I like invested my money in and sort of like, it seemed like the easiest way to kind of work my way into being a part of, you know, now I'll use air quotes, the scene. Uh, so like, it was like the easiest way to kind of worm my way into being a part of the scene. So, um, so I started doing a fancy when I was 14, but you know, it, at that point I wasn't like, Oh, like I wasn't like studying anybody's writing style or anything. Like, oh, like this guy writes cool. Like I do, I want to write like him. Like, no, it was just like the artifact. That's all that was important. Like it was just like putting whatever words that would come out of my head on the paper and like Xeroxing it, you know, like it wasn't like, you know, whatever. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm trying to write like this guy or like, or even like I'm inspired to write by this guy or anything like that. I mean, sure there were zines that i was like oh like that's a cool zine like if only my zine could be like that but like it wasn't until i got older that i started to like study like certain people's writing styles and being like oh shit like that's cool like if only i could kind of write like that or like more or less copy <laughs> copy that or you know something like that that wasn't until like my, i was probably not honestly like that probably wasn't until my 20 like early 20s or something you know like but looking back now, like definitely like I know like when Tim and I did common sense, you know, we weren't as far as I'm concerned, like it wasn't like we were consciously trying to be like, Oh, like we want to do a zine that's like boiling point or like we want to do a zine that's like triple X or, um, smorgasbord or whatever, you know, whatever zine we thought was cool. Then we just wanted to be a part of that. You know what I mean? Like, so our zine probably kind of looked a lot like boiling point. I mean, the writing, I mean, you know, we were 14 and 16 years old. We, you know, we weren't necessarily Lester Bangs, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we weren't really like pushing the envelope or anything. We were kind of, if anything, we were towing the party line. It was just like, Hey, the chance drinks seven inches. Great. Like, you know, we weren't really like challenging anybody's intellect. Right. Here's, but, some, um, here, here's some hot takes from a 16 year old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, we weren't trying to challenge anything. Like I said, if anything, we were just like trying to jump in and be a part of, a, a part of everything, you know, but, um, but yeah, the writing, yeah, I think it was like something like, I don't know, man. I think, I think I didn't play sports. I wasn't very good at skateboarding. And like, that was, I think with the writing, it's just like, I just kept doing it. And eventually <laughs> if you just keep doing something, you get better at it, you know? And like we did the zine and it kind of fizzled out. And then I, I, I continued to write about music, but it wasn't like about hardcore or punk. It was like more like uh, I did a, a fanzine in my early 20s called the 200 Pound Underground that was more about like kind of like weird psychedelic rock or like I was really into like kind of tracking down these weirdos that were like pre-punk, I guess, in America, like guys that like would put out a record on their own in 1975 and then would become sort of like killed by death-esque, but they weren't necessarily punk. They were before punk. Like I just found that really interesting. Like these people putting out independent music, um, before the kind of punk boom. So I was kind of tracking those guys down and interviewing them. And that was kind of what that zine was all about. Um, and I think then that's when I was like really kind of like 
working on a writing style or again like ripping off a writing style but definitely like that's when like the writing was more important than like the artifact in a way um and then like from there once it was a it got to a point where i was like oh like people like i don't have to um like people want my writing in their magazines or like on their websites or whatever as bad as that might sound coming from like you know, coming from a punk perspective, like that's when I was like, Oh, I guess I'm good. <laughs> like, I guess my writing's pretty good. Like yeah. this guy's willing to like pay me to, to write something for him. Like, Oh, I guess like, Oh, like, I guess, I guess this all works out now. Like 90 bajillion years later, like it's all, it's all coming together. Finally just took way too long. Right. Um, yeah. So like d- crazy master plan. It's like, no, I, I, I honestly do like the, the, the thought process of what you're talking about where, you know, like every kid, you're sampling a bunch of stuff and like you are, you know, especially in the context of the scene where it's like, yeah, you, you know, you're doing these things like skateboarding and uh, what you see your friends around you doing. Um, Mm -hmm. but then, you know, when you run into a wall of just like, oh yeah, like I'm not that good. I fall the time or like, you know, oh, like sports isn't my thing because I'm not that good. You're just like, well, how else can I express myself? Like, how about I pick up a camera or how about I pick up a canvas or whatever? You know, you just, you have to do those things in order to find, you know, your corner, so to speak. Yeah. And I always like that. I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, the writer, uh, Nick Toshis, Toshis. I don't know. I think it's Toshis way you say his name, but like, uh, again, it's going to be like a loose quote, but it's something like, you know, writing is communication for people who don't like to talk to people or like, it's the only way you can communicate to somebody when you can like stare at a wall. And I kind of like that idea of like, I can connect with some, like I can write something and somebody somewhere, hopefully is like, Oh, well that's cool. That guy seems like a cool guy, but like, I don't have to talk to that person. <laughs> like I don't have to meet them cause I'm super awkward even as a grown man. So like, it's just like, Oh, like that's kind of a cool thing. Like as far as like you can put something out into the world and like somebody connects with it in some way in a non like uh physical, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, have to be in a physical uh, way. You right. Know? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you put a you. I mean, that that's uh, you know clearly what bands do, and everybody putting their art in the world, they don't know how it's going to boomerang back to them, either positively or negatively. Um, but mm-hmm. as long as it's inspiring a reaction, then you know you feel like you've done something with your, <laughs> you know, the labor of love or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like when you do the the book events and you kind of meet people, you're like, oh, all right, cool. Like, there's people that connect with this thing, you know, like that's. Yeah, that's pretty major, you know. Like it, it put it definitely puts uh, puts it puts it all in perspective. Definitely. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that's rad. Um, and you, you yourself, you uh, you know, you, you mentioned in previous interviews that I, I checked out that you know you played in a band, um, and you you know you had just very limited opportunities to you know play shows and kind of get out there. But then you also uh, toured with friends bands. You know, where you kind of like merch dude roadie sort of scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or, yeah. or, or just, or just a, uh, a dude to hang out with over a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely did merch. Like I did merch for, or whatever, merch slash carry stuff for uh mouthpiece during the nineties. Um, Got and yeah, whoever else kind of wanted me around, but it was mostly mouthpiece because like those, you know, like I went to high school with everybody, pretty much everybody that was in that band. Like we all went to the same high school and, uh, pretty much, me and Tim were from the same neighborhood. The other guys weren't, but nonetheless, we're from the same like township or whatever suburb. Um, so yeah, so I was kind of like 
merch dude guy for them. But then like, yeah, we, um, there was a band called chain to thread and I, uh, it's funny. Like I have never talked about, I don't really talk about that band and I don't care. I'll talk about it. I just don't think anybody gives a shit, <laughs> but sure. it's funny because last week, um, I was interviewed by somebody and they just brought that up and it was kind of like, I was like, man, we're going to talk about this. But then like, it was total, like, uh, like almost like a therapy session. Like, Oh, I need to talk. Like, finally I get to talk about this. And I just let it like, now that I was like, those damn guys, like, I don't, it was more like, it was, it felt good to kind of like talk about it. Nonetheless, like it wasn't like I had any ill will towards anybody, but, um, anyway, yeah. Chain of Thread was a band that I sang for pretty much the, the, the rest of those guys were in mouthpiece, like the guitarist, the bassist and the drummer. But the whole thing is like, we started that band a while back. Um, like when Mouthpiece was just kind of starting or forming and the lineup for Mouthpiece was different at that point but by the time Chain of Thread kind of became a real band and started to play shows it was basically me with the guys from Mouthpiece behind me you know what I mean so then that was kind of like the bummer like people are just like oh this is just Mouthpiece with a different singer like no Um, so yeah I mean I sang for that band we did a demo we did a split 7 inch we played shows around New Jersey that like were kind of like those shows that happened in New Jersey in the nineties where it was just like the same lineup every weekend, just a different location pretty much. Like just like Lifetime, Dead Guy, one oh eight and then us or something like that. Um so yeah, I mean I don't know, to me it's it's just like a, a blip, but every like year I'll be somewhere, be be at a book event or like just hanging out at a show and somebody be like, Oh shit. They'll talk about chain of thread and how much they liked it. And I'm like, okay. Like, I'm not going to say like, you shouldn't like it. <laughs> it's just more like we made, I had like six songs. I think like, really, we had that much of an impact on you. Like, cool. Okay. Whatever. But like, you know, whatever. We were just like any other band we played, you know, if, if it didn't have the people in it that it did, I don't think anybody maybe would have cared. I don't know. I mean, I guess we were good. I don't know. But it was, yeah, that's about it. I don't know. Do yeah. Any, no, 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 no. Do you no, have no. any other questions about it? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I just wanted to tap on the fact, like, did you enjoy, you know, like once you started to get out there, you know, whether it was mouthpiece, um, you know, from just like a touring perspective, like did, mm-hmm. cause I know not everybody is, uh, you know, cut out for touring. Like, did you enjoy that aspect of it or was it kind of like, oh man, like, uh, yeah, it's fun, but you know, I, I want to get home. Yeah. Well, we know, I, I never, I know those guys went to California and stuff like, they went to California a couple times, but I like flew out, but I didn't go with them. And then like, I think, you know, my, my memory of them, you know, it's kind of like, a, I would say like 94, I think like 1993, 1994, like, um, I kind of wasn't too friendly with those guys anymore. And I think from there, like, I think they actually did like some touring of the country. I'm not too sure. But like, for me, like I went, with them to like, you know, um, you know, like weekend shows or something. Like I think the farthest I ever went with them was like, there was a a music festival called the more than music festival that happened in Dayton, Ohio. I remember like going with them to that and like maybe some shows in like in Richmond, Virginia and maybe New York, uh, Syracuse. Uh, geez. Yeah. Like a lot of places in Pennsylvania. So it wasn't like, living on the road or anything like it was like a week, their little weekend trips or whatever. Um, 
don't know. It was it was fine. I, I don't think like it was that rough in the way that like we were probably home by the end of the night, right. even if it was at like three or four o'clock in the morning. But having having said that, like, um, I know for the last book for the New York Hardcore book, I did a lot of like book touring in a way of like doing like three three things in a weekend or something like that. And I think it's probably a little different now because I'm a grown man and I, yeah, I want to be home. Like I want to be with my wife under a roof and like feel safe and not feel like I'm a fucking old creepy dude like in the back of a, in the back of a club selling books by my, you know, all by myself, you know, like it's just a very, I don't know. It yeah. makes you feel very, very empty inside. <laughs> if you know what I mean, like, it's so, well, it's just, yeah, it's a solitary yeah. existence. I mean, writing a book in and of itself is a solitary existence. And then the idea of, of touring around a book tour, like, you know, unless you're like Tanashi Coates or something like that, where, you know, you're, you're selling out, you know, uh, Barnes and Noble appearances and stuff like that. Yeah. It can be a real weird, nice lady experience. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it, especially it's not, you're not in a band. So you're just like, all right, just here by myself. Like, cool you know like that's right yeah i i did yeah i did like something uh there at that not dead yet festival in toronto a few years ago where i did i just drove up by myself and like it was cool like whatever did a book event and did like some kind of q a thing with damien uh from fucked up but then like that night there was like a show with like title fight and give and i like stood in the back of that show and like sold books and it was just like man like i don't know man like no nothing against anybody like everybody was sweet and very nice to me but like inside i was just like dude you're a grown man man (laughs) like you gotta figure out another way to get your art out into the world or something but i think it's more like like what's a like you know shaking hands kissing babies kind of thing like you gotta like go out there and meet meet the people kind of thing yeah but like i know now like kind of what we're talking about before like as far as this book goes, the straight edge book goes, like I'm doing what I want to do pretty much. And like anything that like just doesn't like stuff that doesn't seem like it would fly, like it would make me feel good. I'm not going to do like, and I'm not going to do a lot of traveling. Like I've been having some, uh, like some health issues in the past year where I can't do a lot of traveling like that. So like, I'm just not, I'm not the same. Basically I'm not the same man. I was just a mere, uh, three years ago, two years ago. So like, I'm just taking, taking what I can. And, um, but yeah, I don't know where I ended, how I ended up here. No, but, no, no, no. That, well, yeah, yeah. I was, we were talking about touring and stuff like that. So yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I think it's just that. Yeah. It's just like, I, I think I have more of a perspective of the idea of touring from the books rather than like roading for mouthpiece or anybody like that. Because like that, is, like, especially like why be something that you're not, like I drove out to the Midwest for like a weekend and did like three shows and sold books and blah, blah, blah. And like drove all the way back. And, um, you know, that was exciting. It was cool. But like now if you're like, Hey, do you want to drive out to the Midwest? And we're not like, it's going to be on your own dime and you'll get to sit in the back of a hall while bands play. No. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Rockabilia. So Rockabilia is basically your one-stop shop for all things band merch related. So you know, sometimes when you just have that hankering for like, man, I, I need to, you know, get some some band shirts. And a lot of times you just spend hours and hours looking on the Internet, trying to figure out what the best company is and be like, is this high quality stuff or am I buying a bootleg? Rockabilia is just it just takes all the guesswork out of it because not only do they have half a million items. That's absurd, right? They have that. Hard to find stuff. You can't get anywhere else. And they have something for literally every music fan out there. So you could be like, you know what? I love pop punk and I love some neck deep. And I also like metal. I like Ghost or I like Slayer. They offer all of that. And it's cool because, like I said, none of this stuff is bootleg. They get it straight from the band. They license it from them and they sell it and they pay appropriate royalties. I can't stress that enough because, you know, if you're buying off like Amazon or some other, you know, random like Facebook link that you click on. A lot of the times you're buying bootleg merch and, uh, you know, it's a huge industry and Rockabilia says, no, 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 we're not a part of that. We love to pay bands. We love to do this above the board. So they've been around for 30 years. And I remember I myself ordered some merch, I think some Mastodon merch back in, uh, it was a couple years ago, but the the customer service was great because I had a little shipping error where it's like I, uh, you know, had it shipped to the the wrong zip code and they were able to you know help me out with it and it was awesome so please go to rockabilia.com tell them that this show sent you and uh yeah buy some merch right the holidays are coming you can get all of your holiday shopping there so rockabilia.com and thanks to them for their support all right this may be too personal but like are you straight edge yourself or were you ever at one point i was straight edge i wouldn't i would not be considered straight edge these days. Not that I'm <laughs> sure. a complete, not that I am like a heroin addict or anything, right. but I, I don't No, I wouldn't be. Um, I was, and again, like, I don't know if that makes people angry or it makes them 
not want to buy the book. Like who is this guy to, to write this book? But like, I think I had enough, I think I had enough time in there to, to write the book. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, I mean, I've had people that I don't even know, like send me messages via Facebook and things like that. Like, how like you know you you sell out you can't write the book and I was like Jesus Christ man I'm just trying to write a book man like I'm not I'm not like would it be better if I said I was would that make you feel better like I I don't get it but um but no I am not uh, I I would say I officially uh, stopped being straight edge sometime in yeah like ninety ninety three ninety four around the same time that uh, people didn't like me anymore. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, whatever, water under the bridge, we're all adults, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, so yeah, no, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be classified as that uh, yeah. in the present day. Well, no, it's, it, I, it, the only reason I, I asked that is because, you know, I, I think it, it would be one thing if, you know, a person um, were to sort of parachute into a situation like, you know, this, this is a random example and not taking shots at this dude at all because I really enjoy his work. But, um, that guy, Andy Greenwald, he's a, you know, critic writes for, or used to write for Grantland, wrote this book called nothing feels good. And that's about like, you know, mm-hmm. the explosion of yeah. email. And like, you know, he wrote it at, from the very, and granted he made no bones about it. Like he never was trying to pretend that he was like, you know, some, some big, uh, you know, dude within the scene in the mid to late nineties. And then now this whole emo scene is blowing up, but you know, reading that book was definitely, it felt different than it would have been uh, like a person such as yourself. Who's, you know, it'd be weird if you were just like coming into this and being like, Oh yeah, I've heard of this music scene and I've heard of straight edge. So I'll, I'll, I'll attempt this, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's the thing is that if anything out of all these books, like this is the one I feel the most, um, close to in that I definitely was a part of this, you know, the, that kind of like late, 80s explosion of it and also like you know prior to that again like bring up my older brother and everything like you know he him when i'm like 10 11 years old he's bringing home like the minor threat records and ssd records and dys records and stalag 13 and all these records that you know as they're coming out he's bringing them home and i i definitely like connected with that in a way um for reasons of just like being the youngest of five kids and like all the, the four other kids are like way older than me and in high school and college. And I'm kind of like witnessing this sort of like party lifestyle of like high school kids as like a 10 year old and just being like, nah, that, that doesn't look interesting to me. It looks like a lot of work, but honestly, um, so it didn't appeal to me, but I wasn't like going to be a 10 year old kid being like, oh, I'm straight edge or something, you know? But once that kind of bubble happens, in like 1985 and on with like youth of today and like uniform choice and et cetera, et cetera. Like that's kind of where I become a part of it and do a zine and all that kind of stuff. So I like, I, I have, like I said, I have experience in the field. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I was a part of it and like, I feel a connection to this, like that I wanted to get it, get it right. You know, I, not that I didn't want to get the other two right, but yeah, I, I, I felt more connected or personal with this that I had to like, get the story I thought should be out there and like how I remembered it in a way too, you know? Um, so yeah, I think it's, you know, it's fine. Like I I don't, you know, if someone has an issue and doesn't want to buy the book because I'm not straight edge, like, cool, don't buy the book. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, like if if they're, if they're looking for a reason to not like something, then just don't, don't be a patron of that particular piece of art. 
just walk away. Yeah. <laughs> but, but my thing is like, it, like these people that were like, I'm not buying your damn book. Like I really like, it was almost like I wanted to like just find out if they bought the book on, on the DL or something or like, <laughs> or, <laughs> or if tracking, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or actually like I was actually my, in my mind, I was like, oh, I'll be great if like that person gets that book for Christmas, you know, like, <laughs> if, like if they just like unwrap it, like, Oh shit, I didn't want this book. This guy's a sellout. Uh, I'll still read it. Whatever. I didn't pay for it. Um, you know, but, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's but, weird. It's just weird to me. Like that, that, I don't know. Like I understand that strategy can still be something very important to somebody. Like I totally understand that and I respect it. But it, I think after like a certain age, like I, again, I don't know. Like I think like, I, I think after a certain time in it or like age, like you're doing it for yourself. So why do you give a shit if someone else isn't? Yeah. I don't know. No, no, I, yeah. I, I, I'm very, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm of an age where I'm, I mean, I'm still straight edge and I've been straight edge ever since I was, you know, whatever, started claiming when I was 15 or 16. But, you know, as mm-hmm. an, as an adult, it's not like I'm going around my kid's school and like, you know, if someone offers me a, you know, a beer at a birthday party or something, it's not like I'm straight edge. It's like, because <laughs> like, what's that? <laughs> totally, totally. It's like, I don't, I don't have 20 minutes to like walk you through the history of what straight edge is. And it's like, but most people automatically assume that I am in recovery, you know, that I'm like, yeah, now. yeah, that's, yeah. And, and, that, and yeah, I, that's, I totally, yeah, that's funny. yeah, but I, I totally get the perspective on it. Um, but it's like, yeah, once you, it, it, to me, I look at it from the perspective of this, this book exists to document a scene, a scene that's incredibly important to a lot of people, whether they espouse it currently or not. This is something that is, you know, a philosophical movement has changed so many people's lives, um, both positively and negatively. And there's no way that you should, you know, look so myopically at the view of like, oh, is this Tony dude straight edge? Oh, he's not. All right. Fucking throw everything out. It's like, what, what, what are you talking about? He put it well, out there. The, yeah. And I, the thing I don't get is like, I've actually like, I know it's dumb to like, it should, like when I get these messages, I should be like, all right, dude, whatever. But like, I, I want to know, like, I'm like, well, what's, what's the deal? Like, what's the big deal? So I'm like, <laughs> you know, like I'm not writing about straight edge is like a philosophy. This is like just the way it like, it just traces the history throughout like underground music. Like I'm not saying what straight edge means to me. You you get that, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. I'm like, so like certain dudes who like, I'm like, do you go see reunion? Like I, I, I was, I was just like, so do you go see reunion bands? Like do you go see bands that like, or, or like who are, you know, we're straight edge and then like reunite and play straight edge songs. Are you fine with that? No, I don't go see them either. I'm like, all right, well it's across the board. You're a dick. So uh, like, good for you. Um, so I mean, and that's my thing is like, well, at least you're across the board, like rejecting all this stuff. Like it's, it means that much to you, but like, dude, like, I don't know. Like for me, like when I, when I think about that stuff, I'm just like, I think it's, it's not the philosophy and it's not that like, it, it's you like, maybe you should go to a psychologist. <laughs> like maybe you should sit on a couch or something. Cause you seem to have a lot of anger about people that stop being straight edge. Like that's just, I don't get it. I guess that's what it boils down to is like, I don't understand the anger or like towards, towards somebody that like is not necessarily harming you in what they do, but whatever. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, for sure. It's like there, there is a, pr- you can understand the consistency of a principled stance, but when mm-hmm. it, when it's at uh, you know a, a person's detriment, that's when you know the like you're just left scratching your head, being like, 
All right, man. Like, you know, you do you. I, I just, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know why this yeah. is, why this is such a big deal, but okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, very weird. Know, so, you know, all, all the books you've written, you've, you know, partnered up either with, uh, you know, Revelation on the Detroit book or, you know, you've put out, uh, you know, two books now through Bazillion Points. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it seems like a partnership, you know, obviously made in heaven in regards to the fact that it's an independent publisher. Um, you know, clearly you would compare it to an independent record label as opposed to, you know, a major label like, you know, if you're putting on a book through Penguin or Simon & Schuster or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. I, I presume that the same sort of general, I guess, business structure is in place where it's just like, okay, you know, they, they, they pay you a small advance and, you know, that gives you some time to be able to, you know, uh, write this book. Um, or is it one of those things where it's basically just like, oh, it's kind of a handshake deal. You know, if, if th- this book makes any money, then we split it 50-50. Um, just curious because obviously in most people know books and authors and people penning books from the, oh, wow. Hillary Clinton gets $5 million, you know, (laughs) and I'm granted, that's obviously a ridiculous example and I wouldn't compare you (laughs) to Hillary Clinton, but you know, just that most people have such a, a, uh, they just don't have any knowledge about how that kind of structure works. So, you know, I was just curious if you could, you know, shed a little light about how your structures have kind of worked. Um, yeah, I mean, it it is an independent, yeah, they're both, uh, independent publishers. I mean, with, with revelation, it was sort of like, um, kind of handshake deal kind of thing. Um, Bazillion points works differently and it's not, it's not anything in, in regards to me of like when we did the New York Harker book, like I need a contract. Like they actually like produced a contract and gave a small advance and like told me when I had to have the book in and like, you know, so it works in a professional way, but yeah, it's not like penguin. It's not like Abrams. It's, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be uh, buying a solid gold boat with uh, with your with your advance or anything, um, but it works. You know, it works in the same way that you know once you pay off whatever money they give you up front, then you get you know you get royalties twice a year. You know, again, nothing nothing to uh, take the take the family to Europe with, but you know it's it's something. And um, yeah, it's it's that's basically how it is. Like it's funny because like that's all it's all I know is, you know, dealing with like bazillion points in the way of like, you know, all right. Like when we did the straight edge book, it was the same thing. Like, all right, I'm going to draw up a contract, X amount of money up front, blah, blah, blah. Have it in by then sign the contract, send it back, yada, yada, yada. Like that's all I know. And that seems like really cut and dry, like easy, easy to deal with. And like, I've never really, um, dealt with like whatever would be called like a major publisher or something like that. But I, I did have like a brief, uh, attempt at having like a literary agent and it was a freaking disaster and it just made me more be more like gee like you know it's like just running back to the compound you know like ah oh, like like that was way too real like take me back to just simple contracts and like getting some money maybe every two months you know what i mean like it's just a lot of like once you get into that world you realize like how much money gets thrown around and how like I don't know how to put it. Just like so much money gets thrown around and it's just like, for what? It's like for nothing. You know what I mean? Like you, when you work in a, a world of like a bazillion points where it's like, it's, it's very tight on like, you know, you get so much money, you're not getting a huge amount of money, but you're getting enough to get the job done. You know what I mean? Like it makes sense to me, especially coming from like a, a hardcore punk background. And then like when you kind of graduate to these worlds 
I didn't even graduate because I didn't graduate. But like when you see these things that go on in these other worlds where like just like money is getting thrown around just for the sake of like, well, we have it. You know, like, fuck yeah. it. Let's just let's just throw this money around and see if anybody like catches it. You know what I mean? It's really it's really weird. And you're like, it does. It makes you a little like, I'll be honest, like it makes you like, oh, like me. Oh, they're just throwing this money around. Maybe I can have some of that. And then, like, you find out no. <laughs> and you're just like, nah. Like, because that's what happened is, like, tried to, like, push a certain uh, a book proposal I had through, like, certain kind of major publishers. And we were talking to major publishers, and they're like, they offer you an advance that is less than what I get, than what I am offered through, like, a bazillion points. And I'm like, well, that, what's the point of that? Like, yeah. you know, I might, as well just, I might as well just do something with Ian at bazillion points where, like, I know it's going to come out cool, and it's going to be, like, presented in the way I want it to be presented rather than like for like a measly amount of money, I'm going to give it to you and you're going to like sit there and like stroke your chin over and be like, what if, you know, like what if we have Martha Stewart write the intro? (laughs) I don't know. Like or something like, just like, no, what? This is what I wanted, you know? Um, so it is a, it's a weird, it's a weird, uh, weird yeah well i, I mean because I, I i'm just so interested in you know almost every facet of you know pop culture uh, business structures that it because they all are you know practically the same you know a, a yeah. talent is identified you know a person slash company with money invests said money into the thing and then hopefully it sells and then hopefully people make money off the back end of it but then, you know, it's the nuances that always, uh, you know, interest me personally, where it's just like, you know, like you briefly just mentioned, you know, working with a literary agent and feeling like, oh, my gosh, like if this is how this works, like, no thanks, you know, because uh, that's yeah, that's the sort of stuff where it's like, you know, the uh, people, you know, don't get to experience or don't get to hear those sort of contextual stories where it's just like, oh, yeah, if like, you know, you're you're coming from our particular scene and then you're trying to do something in the more corporate world, you know, sometimes it works. And then many times it's like, Oh dude, that sucks. Like, I don't want to do, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And it was something like that where it was like, he, this, this certain uh, literary agent kind of came in uh, recommended by someone I know who writes a good amount of books. And like the one thing from the first meeting we had, and again, like, I don't know about you, but there's certain times where like, I'm just so, uh, I don't know how to put it. Like, so wrapped up in the moment, not that I'm excited, but I'm just like, or actually I'm just probably dumb, <laughs> but it's something like where something happens. And then like five minutes later, you're on the train coming home. And like, I don't think that went well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but it was something where I had a meeting with this guy and kind of, it seemed like it was going fine. I don't know. And he's like, Hey, you want a book? Like I'll, I'll give you like whatever. He had all these books behind his desk. that were of like the books that he sold to like publishers. He's like, Hey, do you want a book? I was like, Oh yeah, cool. And like, he, it was, um, the Chris Farley book that like his brother wrote, I guess he sold that book. So like that was behind his desk. And I was like, Oh man, I want to read that book. And he's like, that's the only one I have. You can't have that one. (laughs) I was like, uh, okay. Uh And then he ended up giving me, um, you know, Pamela DeBars is the woman who wrote that book. I'm with the band. She wrote like a second book called like, let's spend the night together. And he was like, how about a Pamela DeBars book? And I was like, cool. Like I was like, I already read I'm with the band. He's like, Oh, well this is the new one. But it's not like about, it's not just her. It's like a bunch of other women who are groupies, like their stories. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, well, <laughs> Fine, that, whatever. That's not, and then like I, that's not yeah, the same put, thing at all. <laughs> yeah, and I put it in my saddlebag and like walked out. And then like, yeah, like five minutes later on the subway, I'm like, 
hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, I don't think that guy treated me well. Um, and then the joke of that is like, whatever. He tried to sell this book idea. It didn't go anywhere. And then I was just like, well, you know what, dude, like, let's just stick a pin in it. And he never tried to get back in touch with me. Like, Hey, do you have another book idea? Et cetera, et cetera. But then when he saw like, you know, I, you know, whatever the New York Harker book kind of had a, it blew up, you know, when it first came out, there was like right. stuff in the village voice, stuff in the New Yorker. It, it got coverage in, in, um, whatever outlets that normally don't write stuff about hardcore. Definitely maybe punk, but not hardcore. And uh, that guy just sent me a nasty email. Like, I thought I was your, like, your literary agent. Why didn't I sell this book for you? I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, you, you, like, scraped me off like poop on a shoe. Like, you just let go of me. Like, you just saw that I did well without you, and now you're like, hey, like, kind of muscling your way in. Right. And, so, you, and you're like, I can yeah. tell you for a fact, you would not know what to do with this book at all. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And then what happened? Like, then you sell it. And then I give it to you, and then like, and it's like, hmm, maybe Martha Stewart should write the intro, like you know, like, totally. and it just gets ch- changed around, and then all of a sudden, like, I'm putting in bands like that I don't want to put in, and yeah, exactly, it's right. just not. Here's here's a here's a young upstart editor that uh, only only reads Pitchfork and listens to indie rock, so he gets music and he'll understand oh. where you're coming from. It's like, wait, what? No, this is yeah, and he'll just probably look at it like, oh, these guys are idiots. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally, so, totally. yeah. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was the, um, we kind of, you know, spoke briefly about it in regards to, you know, your, the, the fact that, you know, book tours and traveling, all that stuff doesn't sound very interesting, but, you know, working on a book is, you know, an incredibly isolating process. You know, uh, I mean, when you're compiling the interviews and doing that, you know, clearly you're communicating with a person. So the loneliness hopefully doesn't exist there, (laughs) but, um, you know, how do you, uh, is it because that you you're able to kind of balance, you know, working on a book with, uh, you know, going to work and, you know, living a, a quote unquote normal life, so to speak, rather than, you know, locking yourself away in a, in, in a cabin misery style, um, and, <laughs> and like having that process, um, you know, unfold, uh, how do you, I, I guess, you know, how does that kind of sit in your head as far as not going stir crazy? Who said I didn't, uh, I don't know. It's true. I'm it's, just projecting. It, yeah. Um, I, I definitely think for the for the New York book, I I was spreading myself thin both like uh, mentally and physically. Um, it like just definitely um, just doing too much. I was doing too much, and um, it definitely did. Like I'll be honest, like it, it, it affected me mentally like for a while, um, and uh, I just. Tried. I think it was like to be honest. I think it was halfway doing the straight doing this book that I was like, "Whoa, hold on, something's not right here." <laughs> you know, like something, something's not right with me. Um, and then I just had to kind of like slow things down. And then, like like I was saying before, like I started having some uh, some some health issues. So like it just it made me kind of slow things down a little more and and take things into perspective. Um, but you know, I, I think from now on, so to answer that question, I don't know, like, I, I'm not like, I'm not a member of a, of a writer's club where we all get together and, uh, you know, smoke pipes and wear velvet, velvet jackets or anything. Like, I don't, I don't know anything. Like, I don't know other writers to be like, Hey, do you go through this? Did this happen? Like I've never, I, I don't have that, um, Avenue or whatever, or like that support group. So I don't know if other people have kind of like, gone like, spread themselves thin and felt like a little weird about it. Um, so I don't know. 
as far as um, yeah, striking that no, balance. Yeah, no base, and plus, like you said, you have no basis of comparison. But um, I mean, I do. Yeah. What, what yeah. do you What do you do for your day job if you can reveal that? Oh uh, sure. Um, my day job is I work in a print shop. Oh cool. For uh, a kind of a um, it's kind of the in house print shop for uh, I'll say this for one of the major one of the ma- most major um, financial groups in the world. <laughs> um, Got it. So, so, uh, but having said that, it's not like that's bringing home the bacon either. <laughs> like, uh, I worked there for like 15 years. I, I, you know, I, I do modestly and I've also, I've had to like shorten my, uh, shorten my hours there for, for other reasons. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, I strike, I try to strike a balance between the two, but there's always this thing of like, I go into that place and I'm like, man, like, this sucks, <laughs> you know, like, sure. it's just like, and then you're like, well, then if this sucks, dude, like, then don't write about punk rock, <laughs> you know, like, if, if this sucks, like, um, you know, write top 10, you know, the top 10 reasons we love fill in the blank, like, you know, like, if this sucks, dude, go write about Cardi B, like, you know, but I don't want to write about Cardi B, so this is what I got to do. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I only write about the things I like writing about, you know? And like, again, I don't think anybody's paying. I mean, it, it seems like people read the books and all that stuff, but I don't think anybody's paying that close attention to what I do in the aspect of like, Oh, well I don't trust this guy anymore. Cause he wrote about like some shitty band or something. It's more me. Like I don't, I couldn't write about something I don't like about like even objectively. Like if you asked me to write about it, it would be bad writing because I just wouldn't, it would just be a bunch of mad libs. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know where I got off. Where no, no, that, that I, well, no, no, I, 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 I just like the, cause I, I think it's one of those things where, and I, you know, you see this happen so often with, you know, bands that reach a point where their existence is spent, you know, away from home on tour, you know, having these ever changing cast of characters around them from, you know, people at shows and, you know, managers and whatever else. And like the time it comes around for them to write another record, they're, you know, stripped of any sort of real experience. And all they're writing about is like tour, you know? And it's like that, you know, and then if they, you know, beyond that, if they have to write another record, and like they can't write another record about touring, and then what are they going to do? They're like mimicking what other normal humans feel on a day to day basis because you know. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I'm totally. Um, you know, overstating a lot of this, but uh, yeah. So I think that you know, it's cool that you are able to, you know, have your foot in both worlds, which you know, some people would be like, oh, well, you know, that that doesn't work because, like you said, you're spreading yourself too thin. But at the same time, it offers you inspiration in ways that uh, other people that are just immersed in one probably don't have. Yeah. Yeah. But having said all that, like, I don't know, man, like after this book, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I got in me anymore. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I might just become like an overnight janitor somewhere or something. I don't know. Like I need some, I need some distance. <laughs> I need like something. Yeah. I just need, I need to get away. Like, I don't mean like get away like tropical Island. Like I just, I think after doing the New York book right into the straight edge book, like again, spreading myself a little too thin and like, and being aware of that now, like I just have to like come up with something. Like I have to like, you know, just take a break or I don't know. Yeah. Just you gotta, like you gotta, you get gotta, away. Yeah. Recharge the batteries. 
So the exactly, uh, <laughs> I, I guess this is truly the last question. So you know, removing what you just said and placing you solely in the uh, you know the idea that you could spend a year to a year and a half on a uh, particular subject from a book perspective, what would you do afforded that opportunity? Wow. I know, right? This is like total pie in the sky, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot. I mean, it would, I mean, and this is not a diss, like, um, probably, okay. Well, I've got a few, I don't want to give away all my, my, all my like, you know, freaking cherry, (laughs) cherry ideas, man. But like, you could be, um, you could be general at it. It's okay. Um, if I could do a book about anything and this is going to be like, this is (laughs) all your listeners are going to be like, this guy might as well be talking about like pizza pie in Zimbabwe. Like, <laughs> it's like they're just not going to know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, I got really, and I'm still really interested in like, there's this, this period of um, music in England in the early seventies. Um, I guess it would be like psychedelic music, but there's also like all these bands that were on this, uh, the label United artists, which was like a major label still is. Um, and they signed all these bands from England who were like, wanted to be like American country rock bands, I guess. Like if I can put it into like perspective is like, but uh, okay. So they were like these British bands or the help yourself, uh, Cochise, quiver. There were all these bands that got signed to this label. And they're like, their thing was like, we like American, like West coast rock. But like to them, it could be anything from like the grateful dead to like America or something like it, it was just like, um, like Calif- music from California was cool to them. Like it was like this far away exotic thing. So like their music was kind of like this weird mishmash of like being like a 14 minute long weird, like whatever, like grateful deadish kind of like jam, or it could be like a three minute kind of poppy song. Um, so I got really like interested in those bands uh, in the nineties and don't ask why. I think it was like, there was a zine at that time from England called the Terrascope that covered all these weird, obscure bands from England from the seventies. And I kind of used that as a buying guide when I got out of hardcore. Like I was just like, whatever those guys wrote about, I would go find those records. Um, and I just find that stuff interesting because like these are guys that like were a part of the major label system, I guess, but were like so far out of it. Cause they were like so zonked on drugs. I mean, everybody was zonked on drugs, I guess, but like, they were just so in their own little uh, universe, but like it would, you know, like this band I'm talking, one of these bands, Help Yourself, like they recorded their record in this um, house called Headley Grange that was in England, and like basically when they were walking out, Led Zeppelin was walking in to record Led Zeppelin Four, you know, so like these weird little like crossovers of like little minor people with big people, it's kind of interesting, and I've just always been like. I think I talk, I was talking about this with a friend of mine the other day, like as much as like, I love Led Zeppelin. I love the Rolling Stones. Uh, you know, I love the Grateful Dead. I love all these like mean, you know, basically mainstream rock bands. I love them, but they don't mean anything like, but compared to like some weird record I find from some guy in the seventies who just did it cause he loved to do it. Like there was no, like, like we were talking about, like the, the tour record tour record cycle, you know, like this was just like a weird dude that like loved those bands and recorded a record on his own. Like that means way much more, like way more to me than any, any of that music. You know what I mean? Even though obviously that stuff meant something to somebody because like, it's always on the radio. Like that doesn't mean it stinks. It's, it's great. But like, to me, I'm always, I'm more interested in like the labor of love, you know, like the first, whatever, 
first Discord records or the first Touch and Go records. That stuff to me is in the same like the same pile as like some weird record from the seventies that some guy like self released just because he like wanted to put out his own record. It's the same thing, you know, yeah. same thing. Yeah. So um, no, that's yeah. not, that, that that's awesome. I really like that just because it does. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think that's why people people get attracted to subcultures because they're obsessive and they are yeah. exhaustive in their research. And when you feel like someone else shows you this little rock you can look under and then whether or not you identify with, you know, the music or, you know, the principles in which this music was released, there's something that's probably going to scratch that itch in there. And that's why I love, yeah, we, yeah, as random as that was, I love that because it's so cool that you can just be able to be like, oh yeah, there's this super random thing that I'm, I'm into and I think more people should be into it. And it's like, oh hell yeah, they should. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it goes back to the the same thing as like when I got wasn't in, like when sort of like hardcore wasn't scratching my itch anymore. My brother kind of got me into the into this stuff, and then like he also got me into like avant garde jazz, and he played me like you know like Albert Ayler and Sonny Chirac and all these guys, and like I just like to me that was like hardcore. It was just like these guys were putting out most of these guys were putting out these records on their own or like through an independent, um, label. And like at that time in the nineties, like there was, there was a little scene bubbling in New York with like William Hooker and, um, like William Parker and all these guys that were like sort of the same thing, but in the nineties and they were, they were connected to the stuff in the seventies that was like free jazz in New York. And those guys were playing in like, like I was going to see those guys in like, the basements of churches in Harlem and stuff. So to me, I was like, this is just hardcore. Like, you know, like you're just doing this in a basement because like you got to fucking do it. Or like, if you don't do it, you're going to go to the nearest bell tower and like shoot people. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's like an express, you got to express yourself or like shit's going to go bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Every, yeah. every, everything worthwhile that has a lasting, not only cultural impact. And I don't mean that in like the broadest sense, but like, you know, I- impacting, you know, people, are the things that start, like you said, in basements and, you know, in garages. And it's like, that's why so many companies, you know, always like to put their origin stories. And it's like, no one likes an origin story of like, oh yeah, we, we got given $9 million. So we started this. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's yeah. like, what the hell are you talking about? It's like, yeah. Like we started our humble, our humble energy drink. <laughs> like totally. The factory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's true. And that, and again, that as far as the, those stories go, like that, again, that, that's just, that's um that's just branding now that's you know it's not it's it can it can be authentic but it's also like oh if we have a great story of how we started our like artisanal pretzel company like that'll do it you know what i mean like totally totally yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) well tony thank you so much for hanging out dude honestly really appreciate this conversation and i uh yeah it was it was fun for me here's the outro yeah there we go I've, you know, I struggle with how to get back into this, but thank you very much, Tony, for coming on the show. And thank you to Carlos at No Echo, because he was the one who uh, hooked us up and said, you guys should talk. And it made perfect sense. So thank you very much for that. And like I said, next week's episode is the top 10 of the year from me and my friend Jeremy and my friend Joey. And I know many of you look forward to that. And uh, I look forward to releasing it every year. And it's just it's just fun stuff talking about music, right? Because that's why we all listen to this thing, right? Um. Yeah, so uh, by this time that you listen to this, I'll be in Canada, and hopefully I will not be sick, and hopefully I'll be having fun, right? I, it sounds I, – I feel anxious. <laughs> I guess that's uh, that's the feeling that I should embrace right now. So anyways, um, yeah, that's – that's. oh, actually, you know what? I'm going to do a plug. Lowercase Noises. They do all of the music for this show, and you you should listen to him. 
He has released great music as of late, and uh, even though his record did not make my top 10 of the year, it's pretty damn close. I want to say it's about 11 or 12, so um, yeah, you should get involved with that. And like I said, email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com at the very top of the show. That's when that's when I said it. I'm just making sure that I'm collecting my thoughts here. You should do that if you're feeling, uh, you know, lonely and you're feeling down. I'm, I'm here for you. Um, yeah, that's all I got. So until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right. Come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.